It's one. Maybe. Yes, sir. From their little studio in South Africa, it's time for the long and short of it. With Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Okay, Dale, I've decided. We're doing it differently today. Okay, all right. Well, what do you got in mind? Usually I do the introduction to our chats. Mm-hmm. It's your turn. All right. Well, like the man said, it's the long and the short of it golf podcast. Good start. With Simon Hill. That's me. And Dylan Rogers. Last time I checked, that's you. And today, something a little different. And as now we for something s- completely, completely different. different yeah. <laughs> we segue nicely from the men's game to the ladies' game and one of the biggest names in ladies international golf. And I'm really chuffed to say that on the podcast today, we're speaking to Dame Laura Davies, who has won 87 tournaments worldwide, four major championships, two senior majors. She's represented England and Europe 13 times in the Solheim Cup. She's been a vice captain. And of course, she's also a former world number one as well. And she likes a little flutter as well, which is important to mention because we chatted to Laura in the midst of Euro 2020 just after England had beaten Germany. Yeah, the mood in England was still high as they believed it was coming home. It's gone to Rome. It's firmly in Rome. We'll say no more. Here is our chat now with former world number one, Dame Laura Davies. Well, Laura Davies, excuse me. It's Dame Laura Davies. I know you're not too hung up on titles, but uh, welcome to the podcast. Firstly, as an avid football lover, you must be delighted after last night's Euro result against the Germans. Uh, which one yes. of your three TVs did you watch it on? I went down the local club with all my mates, so we had a good old afternoon, watched the, watched the England game and then some of the Sweden-Ukraine game as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely in happy spirits on my walk home, so it was very nice. Did you ever flutter on the game at all? Well, I did have a little bit on Sterling first goal, so that was all right. So I made a few quid to boot. Hey, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Well, alongside us is uh, is my colleague Dylan Rogers, and sitting at Swartkop, very, very disappointed that he's not going to the Open, is Dale Hayes. Hi, Dale. Hi, how are you doing, Simon? Hi, Laura, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Dale. Laura, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit of a flutter. I know that gambling is actually your first love, even above golf, I think. Would well, I, be I don't right know about that. I don't know about that. I love watching sport and there's nothing better than having a little flutter on it as you're watching it too. So it just enhances it a bit. So not so much horses and stuff like that, but I do love a sports bet. It's uh, football and uh, yeah, it's, it's always good fun. How do you feel about the gambling and the the fact that it's making its way into into golf in a big way? Yeah, it sounds I've heard I've heard bits and pieces, but obviously um it's it, again. It's it's all to do with fun for the for the watching public and enhancing their experience. And if having a little bet on it brings more people into the game, then I'm not against it because, like I said, I've 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 always enjoyed a little flutter. And and uh, as long as it's regulated and done properly, then I think it's it's a good thing for the game because let's face it, all sport gets gambled on, and and why should we miss out? I heard rumor, and I must say this is a rumor. It might not be true that you don't actually have a credit card. Well, it's, it's, it's true. I, I've, I've never really had one. I don't like, I like betting um, cash across the be- uh, at the betting shop. I like putting my money down in cash, and if I win, I get it back. All that cyber money is no good to me. I, I like to actually feel it when you've had a win. I just went and collected my uh, sterling money this morning. So uh, it makes it more fun. Yeah, on, online punting is, is not really something I do. Now, you know, just to, just to show you how old I am, when I played for the first couple of years in, on the European tour, some of the tournaments are in Europe, actually used to pay us in cash. As we finished, we'd go to the secretary's office and they would count out the money in pesetas or lira or whatever the currency was. And they'd actually pay you in cash. That's how far back I go. 
Well, I, I had that experience in uh, Malaysia. We used to play the Asian tour over there, and the same thing. US dollars after the tournament, you'd line up and you and you'd get your your wedge, and and off you'd go. It was lovely. Really enjoyed that. They used to take the tax, unfortunately. So uh, you didn't get away with the tax part, but it was nice to to leave the saddlebags full if you had a good week. Laura, does your is your interest in in having a flutter on a on a sports game stem from your your background as a bookmaker's assistant? And is there is there a a history of gambling in the family? Oh, just just little flutters. My nan used to love a little a, t- a little bit on the GGs when when I was younger. She used to put me a ten pence bet on, probably illegal back then. But um, you know, so it, it's always been something that the the family's always enjoyed. And uh, the reason I went to to Corals to work for that year in my in my um, when I was an amateur was because. It was an easy way of sitting there and watching sport all day. So, uh, yeah, that, that's why I got the job. It wasn't the job that made me interested. It was I did that part-time job just purely because it was something I was interested in. So take, take us back to those early days, Laura, because it sounds like, and obviously golf aside, you came from a sports-mad family. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, my brother. He's, he's always been a very good footballer, cricketer. Obviously, golf. He got me into golf, and then um, and and that's really um, how I started with all my sports. So I used to play tennis, hockey, snooker, darts, core. You you name it. I've always had a go. Um, yeah. So it's it's always been a huge interest in my life. Apparently, you and your brother were excellent club throwers. Yeah, yeah. I used to chuck a few. I haven't done it. <laughs> I, I've never thrown a club. I don't think as a pro away from me. I've hit the bag a few times, but as an amateur, yeah, I used to be a bit of a club slinger. But I lost a nine iron up a tree and. Um, and my brother threw his eight iron to get my nine iron down. That got stuck up there. <laughs> it ended up being an expensive day and got told off by mum when we got home. I watched a really cool video from Butch Harmon the other day saying that if you're going to throw a club, just throw it in the general direction of where you want to walk to next. Don't throw it sideways or behind you because then you look like an idiot. You have to go and fetch it. That is a very good idea. I never thought of that. That will be my next my next bad shot. I'm going to give that a go. Uh, but you, you didn't mind venting your frustration and, and anger on the golf course, Laura. How did you, how did you manage to rein that in? Uh, during your pro career and, and ensure you didn't lob the clubs uh, too far. Yeah, it's, I don't. I think a bit of anger is not a bad thing. I, I, I don't. I don't understand these players nowadays that, that don't show any emotion. But it seems to work for them, especially you know some of the South South uh, Korean girls and the Japanese players. You never really know if they're shooting under or over par, which probably is a good thing. But but I was always the sort that you pretty much knew what I was shooting when I was out there and. <laughs> And I managed over the years to to get rid of that side of it because I don't think it helped me. It made me hit bad shots after that. So it's something as a young player you need to work out pretty quickly because it can get you know it can get expensive if you lose your rag on the course and and cost yourself some shots. Yeah. Back to your brother though, because as you said, you he introduced you to the game and you and you played a lot of golf together. But you worked out pretty quickly that if you were going to play with the guys, you you had to hit the ball a long ways. Is that where big hitting Laura Davies stems from? Yeah, pretty much. I used to play with a, a guy that was a really good player. My, well, my brother Tony and Tim Liddington. He's a he's a Barry Willits uh, assistant club maker up at St George's Hills, which is a very famous golf club near where I live. And he hit it a really long way. And my brother also got it out there. So I was always playing from the same tees. So I had to I had to throw myself at it really. And I, I was never as long as them, obviously, but I felt like I was getting as much out of it as possible. And obviously, you know, what five six years later when I was on the tour. It really helped me because I was definitely a longer hitter than most of the players, and 
And obviously a lot of my wins came for the fact that I, I had a bit of an advantage over that. And, and that's clearly a strength of your game, Laura. I mean, you, you, were, you were relatively straight with the driver and you think uh, obviously the length gave you an advantage, but the fact that you were far down on the fairway um, meant obviously a lot of short irons into holes and you, and you believe that was key to your success? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, no, no question about that. Nowadays, I'd be considered not below average, below, there's a there's a group of players who are very long out there nowadays and, and I'm, I'm just a bit off it. But in, in my day, yeah, I was I was probably the longest until the likes of Brittany Linsacoon came along and started blowing it past me and, and now obviously some of the other ones, yeah, for a long time. And that, that obviously helped because the courses uh, we used to play, they were longer in those days, believe it or not, than they are now. Have to ask you about your your method in in, in hitting that driver off. Well, quite, not quite off the deck, but off a off a piece of turf on the tee, and then hitting it off the deck on the fairway. Uh, talk us through how you came about as that as as a solution to perhaps some of your your driving challenges later on. Yeah, well, it started at the Far More Classic somewhere in the middle of America. I forgot the exact course, but. I hit one way right off the tee because I'd always used the tee. Obviously, this was 1990, no, 1991. And I've hit it so far out of bounds, so far right, it spooked me. And from that point onwards, I found it very difficult to hit off the off the tee. So I ended up just hitting a lot of irons off the tee and then driver off the deck into par fives and never par fours. I mean, the par, I was long enough, luckily, with my two iron to, to still compete. But my brother kind of suggested to me, in, it was in Las Vegas, the Tour Championship at the end of the year, why don't you hit it off the deck off a tee? So initially, I just hit it off the deck. I would just place it down on a you know decent sort of turf, but tees are very obviously very closely mown, and and hit it off there. And, and gradually, then he suggested maybe just knock a little tuft up just to give yourself that little bit of help. <laughs> and it went from there. And now you know my my tees can be well, as big as a tee, you know, three four inches high. If the grass is good and you can get that nice sort of tuft up, then it's kind of like sitting on a tee, but it's a visual thing for me. I feel like I take the left side of the course out and I can just hammer it down the left side and a little fade back. And, and I still use it to this day, although I do hit off the tee quite a bit as well. Um, a tough shot or an into the wind shot where I want the ball, ball flight lower, I'll go off the deck. You know, driver off the deck, Laura, in, in golf is is regarded as not quite the holy grail, but certainly is a, up there from a skill point of view. And I think, you know, we've, we've spoken to some some guys on this podcast that have, that have referenced the, the, the ongoing distance debate and how a lot of the skill has been taken out of of the driving element in, in golf today. You know, you, you're actually obviously playing around with driver off the deck is in that skill element space. Would, would you say that if we wade into the distance debate that that, that skill element has been taken out by, by some of the technological advancement in in the driver space? Yeah, you you often see. I mean, when I was doing it, I, you didn't even see that many guys hitting driver off the deck. Now, if these guys have got, well, they hit their three woods so far. Some of the short hitters would probably still use their driver. But those long hitters, you know, three hundred yards sometimes they get three without knock it on the green. So it's kind of gone on from there a bit. But yeah, so I I, I remember playing in the JC Penny, which was a mixed event, and yeah, quite often on the par fives, the guys would get their drivers out and and hit them off the deck and. The technology's allowed you to, it's it is, it's difficult, don't get me wrong. I hit a couple last two weeks ago in um, Grand Rapids, two lovely drivers on the front edge of a really long par five, back-to-back days. So I, I still use it, but technology's definitely helped. In the old days, it wasn't quite as easy, but um, yeah, this modern, and I've got Callaway now, and it's just an absolute beauty, the driver. It picks it up clean every time. Have you found, as, as the years have gone on, that you've lost distance, or have you been able to, because of technology, maintain the sort of same driving length as you had before you've hit it on the nail on the head exactly i've maintained that's why these young players much stronger and fitter have gone past me by you know up to 30 40 yards some of them hit it past me but 
the good thing is for me, I have maintained that uh, around about two, uh, stats would say probably 250 something. But if I had a good one, it's 270 to 280. Very, very much on average, I'd say. But obviously the driving stats, we don't have every single drive measured like the men's store. It's just two holes of round that get measured. And if you hit a poor one, it knocks your stats back. But yeah, I, I would say I've maintained, which is obviously kept me just about in there. Laura, I want to go back to the early days. I want to go back to the beginning of your career as you were just starting out. Tell us a little bit about traversing the length and breadth of the UK in in your light blue Triumph Herald. What were those days like starting out? They were very slow, to be honest, because that was a lovely (laughs) car. It was my first car and I absolutely loved it until I was involved in quite a bad crash and it was written off. But yeah, used to drive up to Scotland. It would take 10, 11 hours and uh, remember breaking down once on the way home. Luckily, had had a friend with me and we managed to work out how to get the AA because there were no mobile phones in those days. So it was always an adventure in my old Triumph Herald. But yeah, anywhere, anywhere was, uh, if, if you could get there by car, I would, I would have a go in it. And it was a station wagon version. So everything fitted in and ah. it was lovely. Okay, because I was going to ask you, is that the station wagon or the convertible? Because I can also see Laura Davies in a convertible. Well, I did actually, because of that original Triumph, I did, I did buy an old uh, Triumph Herald and uh, a convertible. And I completely restored it. And it was the most beautiful thing. Red body with a, a white vinyl roof and white leather interior, the white wall, the, the white wall tires. It was it was an absolute beauty. So I, I did actually have a, one of each. You've obviously gone on to be very, very successful. But those early days, as romantic as they sound now, they were probably pretty unglamorous. Oh, very much so. Yeah, but, but fun. That was the thing. It was especially yeah. in the amateur days, you just get, it, you get in a car with your mates and throw your clubs in and off you'd go to the British Amateur or the English Open or whatever. And it was just great fun. Um, when you turn pro, then obviously you start going further afield. Most of the tournaments as an amateur, obviously, were, the, were in the British Isles. And then all of a sudden, I think my first tournament away was France. I went over there to play when I, in 1985 in my rookie. My second tournament was in, in Paris. So you get in your car and off you go. And it's uh, it was a great adventure. I loved it. Italy, Spain. You, you met it now, of course. We go to Dubai and Australia and, and all over the place on the European tour. But in the, in the early days, it was just great fun. From 1985, that first year, you won a tournament. And, and then up until 2005, you won a tournament every single year somewhere in the world. And that's an amazing an achievement. Yeah, you know, I was lucky. I won a lot of tournaments. You have to, you have to have a bit of luck. You've got to be good, obviously. There's no question about that. But you need those bits of luck, and and obviously to have that run of, of winning, um, you know, it was great, and, and thoroughly enjoyed every win. I've, I've I've got a list of all my tournaments and look back on them fondly. So yeah, you, you need some luck, but you have to be good too. Eighty-seven wins, and I believe the only person that's won more is Kathy Whitworth on the on the LPGA tour. Obviously, yours all haven't been on the LPGA tour, but that one win just to match her would be quite cool, especially coming now. Well, it's 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 it is eighty-seven wins, but only seventy-nine of them are individual wins. Like, there's things like the J.C. Penny when I won that with John Daly and uh, and. Um, Skins games. I won a skins game, the big skins game, proper one, and a few other tournaments that that are good wins, but they're not actual individual wins. So uh, I, I only credit myself for seventy nine individual championships, and and the other the other eight or uh, yeah the other eight uh, are smaller events, but I, I still like them. But I don't really count them. So I'm seventy nine. But anyway, Kathy won them all on the LPGA. I think um, pretty much. I'd like to think she they were all LPGA, and that's uh, that is absolutely incredible. It really is incredible. But, you know, you should take a tip from Gary Player. He's won 163, I think, or 169 tournaments. 165, Dale. Just just get it right. If Gary heard this, he'd be shocked. But that was last week. Oh, sorry. 
I'm sure this week it's more than that. But Gary counts the monthly medal at his local golf club that he plays at. And he oh, I, I, I want a couple of those. That gets me up a bit. <laughs> Laura, you've obviously, um, you know, having played on the tour for so long, you're obviously able to compare tour from when you first started to, to where the women's game is now, you know, whether we're talking the European tour or, or the LPGA tour. What would your assessment of the, of the state of the women's game be as it stands at the moment? Yeah, I think, we're, I think we're riding high. If it wasn't for COVID, I think the ladies' European tour would be a lot stronger than it is. It's doing okay, but uh, just as we got the backing from the LPGA tour and, and the RNA, uh, obviously COVID happened a lot more serious than just golf. I realise that, but the European tour is doing all right. The LPGA is very strong. The, the difference in players is the best players are, are basically the younger ones, whereas in my day, you know, the Paddy Sheehan's, the Pat Bradley's, the Lopez, all the... All the sort of 30-plus-year-olds, they were the ones dominating in those days, but now it's completely changed. It's If you're out of your 20s, you're considered old. It's a little bit like the the, the PGA Tour, the young guys coming in and winning, the, you know, the Morikawas, the, the Hovlands, the the Wolves. We, we we flirted with the distance debate earlier, Laura, from a, from a men's tour point of view. Do you think the same applies to, to the women's tour? Is there a concern about uh, the distance uh, that the players are heading now? No, there's a few players that are super long, Anne Van Dam being one of them, and uh, Fassi, she also hits it a mile. Um, but it's not it's not the same as the guys. I mean, the DeChambeau and Dustin and Brooks Koepka, they're, they're hitting it. You know, I see 360, 400 the other day on one, so I don't know, must have been downhill. I can't even comprehend that. As hard as I hit it, I get. I always think I get the most out of every drive, but I don't see how they're hitting it so far. It obviously has to be equipment. There's no question about that. They're bigger, stronger. And in the women's game, it's it's not as relevant, really, because we don't play such long golf courses. Some, on some courses we play, length is it's not a burden, obviously, because you can drop back and hit fairway woods, rescues, irons off the tee. Um, but it's not as relevant in the women's game as it is in the men's game. And at some point, you know, maybe they have to try and rein it back because it's, I, I I love watching it. I have to say, I'm a bit of a hypocrite, really, because I love to see Deschambeau nail one down the middle, three fifty on the fly. But it, it almost is making some of our great golf courses around the world a little bit redundant. Yeah, I've been from a fan's perspective, as you say, it's it's. I mean, it's the reason people switch on their TVs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if Deschambeau's playing now, I'm watching. Simple as that. And, and you know, Tiger kind of started it all because yeah. he was. He wasn't ever super long, but he was the way he played the game very dynamic, and that's why you see all these young strong athletes now playing the game because of Tiger. Yeah, well, on that, Tiger, you know, it's accepted that that he took the game for the men to another level. Uh, was that Soren Stam for the ladies, do you think? Um, not so much. Her game wasn't dynamic. It was just ruthless. She was, her, her distance control was unbelievable. Um, her mental strength was incredible. But her game wasn't spectacular like Tiger's. Um, uh, I think uh, she, it, she made it seem impossible to win because she seemed to win virtually every week. So, uh, but yeah, it's a slightly different kind of genius, if you want to put it that way. But she just wore you down with, with sheer consistency and, and brilliance. Has there been a, a female equivalent of Tiger, in your opinion? Um, well, I think, you know, Lexi's could have that kind of game where she can be overpowering. She hits it so far, uh, but she hasn't quite got it right yet. We saw her at the US Open a few weeks ago, not finish the job off. And the really great ones, they they finish those tournaments off. They did a five-shot lead. There's never a question they're going to win. And she has the capability. I think um, Nelly Corder has a game that uh, you saw her against Salas on Sunday at the at the KPMG. She, I mean, um, Salas played really well, but the dynamism of, um, if that's a word even, 
of Nelly's game made it really difficult for for Salas to win, and and obviously Nelly went on to win it. So she's a she's a player that could potentially uh, potentially be one of those that can overpower overpower courses, and she's won back to back weeks, so she's on a, a real roll. Lexi Thompson has has had a few issues, and uh, what do you what do you make of of some of the some of the things that she's been up to? Well, you know, I don't know that well. I knew her when she was younger. I, I was paired with her quite a bit when she was sort of 14, 15, playing as an amateur in some of the events. And she was a lovely thing. But I, I don't know her that well. And I know she's had some problems. Her mum wasn't well and that really messed with her. And, and she just had a few things going on. But at the end of the day, she's she's a, an absolute phenomenal talent. And hopefully everything that's going on around her won't stop her winning lots of tournaments. Because as good as she is, she hasn't won that many tournaments, really. Now, you know, you, we're talking about uh, Nika and obviously the Carrie Webb and Marina Choa, Lydia Coe, lots of lots of wonderful players that have come through while you've been playing. Did you ever get to see any of the oldies like Mickey Wright? Because people rave about her golf swing and, and her talent. Yeah, no, probably the, the, the one of the real greats of the women's game from yesteryear was that I played. I'm not, I don't think I was ever paired with her. Well, two actually was... Um, Kathy Whitworth, we've already spoken about her record. Um, no one's even, well, Annika got close-ish to it, but she was great, played with her. And Joanne Karner played a lot with her. But Mickey Wright, obviously, Babe Zaharias, I, I never got to see them play. Um, but um, it's uh, it's their legend. It would have been lovely, wouldn't it, if, if those tournaments had been televised so we could look back on them. But, yeah, Mickey was supposedly, her swing was incredible and her game was really dynamic. And when you think of the equipment she was using back then, what would she be like now? It might be amazing. Two things that I came across when I was just uh, trying to make some notes about today, that you've, you've actually won nearly 10 million United States dollars playing on the LPGA Tour, and that was just part of your career. And the other thing that I came across was the fact that in the top 50 money winners on the, P, on the LPGA Tour, you've played in the third most tournaments. Now, I found that amazing because you played around the world, including obviously a lot in Europe. So to play that many in America, wow, you must have played a lot of golf tournaments in your life. Well, I have. You know, I've, I've been, until up until COVID started, I was averaging around about 30, 33 a year. And that was for, a, you know, for a long, long time. So that's why my numbers are so high. That's why when I'm home, I don't really practice. And people say, oh, you don't practice, never practice. Well, my practice, a lot of it was just playing tournaments. I, I, I had one run, I remember in 96, when I was trying to win both money lists. I played in 17 tournaments on the trot and I don't think any of them were back to back because I was going in the same country. I was going back and forth to Europe and we went to Canada, then back to America. It was, I've still got it uh, in one of my little diaries I used to keep. And uh, yeah, so I used to play a lot because I love the, I love the competition. I, I don't really enjoy standing on a range for five hours after a round of golf, stuff like that. But playing a lot of tournaments is probably why I won so much as well, because I, I played in more than my contemporaries at the time and, and uh, you just love that side of it. Laurie, your first major success in 87 at, at the US Open, Not apart from the fact that it, it was your first win, I seem to recall it, it forced them to amend their constitution because from then on you were given automatic access to the LPGA Tour, weren't you? That's right, yeah. that was that was the, I was the first one to, to do it, so they obviously had to have a vote, and the vote only just scraped through, actually, because it went to the membership, because obviously membership owned the tour, and they just voted it in that I would not have to go to the tour school, and very grateful for that I was because it's one thing winning a, a one-off US Open when you're out there on holiday with your family um, to go into tour school and having to produce the goods to get on tour. So 
I always consider myself fortunate that that, that happened. Well, who knows whether I would have made it onto the tour or not, but not having to do it. And then it's opened up the door for quite a few players over the years have qualified through that means. And, you know, it's nice that I was the first one to do that. Uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but do you look back and go, well, if I'd focused a bit more on the LPGA Tour and hadn't played so much around the world, then perhaps I would be in that, that Hall of Fame? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I, I can't say I regret it because I loved playing in Europe and I won a lot of tournaments in those years in Europe. Um, but I, one more major, or I can think of two majors that I threw away, that would have been the two points I needed or some of the, I think I lost 11 playoffs on the LPGA. So, you know, if it had been, if it had gone my way, I'd have been in anyway. But I think if I'd played full time, maybe things would have been. Who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have won anything else. But you'd have to think that those twenty wins might have been twenty two, twenty four. Who knows? Returning to the to the the modern day game, Laura, and uh, if we look at the world rankings, there, there are three Americans in, in the top ten in the world, but there are four Koreans, and obviously much has been said and written about the emergence of of Asia as as a hotbed of of golfing talent, particularly uh, on the ladies' tours. Um, is that the case, and are there other sort of areas or hotbeds of, of young talent coming through around the world that, that that you can see? Well, it seems to go in phases. At the moment, it's the young Asian girls and also guys. You have to say they've got on the PGA Tour now and the European Tour. There's a lot of very good Asian players uh, that are up there all the time. That that Korean team to get in the uh, Olympics, you're allowed four. If you're inside the top 15, I think, I haven't looked at the list recently, but if if they were allowed more than the four that they get, they probably would have had seven or eight at the Olympics, which just shows how strong the, the South Koreans are. Um, and it's it's amazing. And in, in my day, when Annika, there was Lotta Neumann, the Swedes were very strong, and Helen Alfredson, Nils Mark, it just seems to go, you get little little runs of nations doing really well. And, and at the moment, it's the Asians, but the Americans are coming back into it. The Corda sisters, obviously, Lexi. Um, it's just interesting to see how those little waves of nationalities come through the top of the game. Uh, you, you talk about the Olympics and uh, um, obviously men's and women's uh, golf at the Olympics. this year. I want to get your thoughts on, on that mixed event that took place in, in Sweden just a few weeks ago, hosted by... Annika Sorenstam and Henrik Stenson. And, and is that the future uh, of golf in terms of mixing men's and women's golf uh, into the same tournament? Not for me, no. I, I, I enjoyed it. Don't get, I didn't play. I was going to play. And last minute, I, I decided I, I wouldn't go because I've got a few big tournaments coming up. Um, I, I like it, the, the variation of it down in Victoria in Australia where they play same course the, at the same time for different purses, two different tournaments going on at the same time. I think that works really well. I think um, the same purse, uh, different tees, just gets a bit messy for me. But I, I, as a one-off, I love it. I mean, I, I hope that tournament goes from strength to strength. And I think I would definitely play it next year having watched it and seen how well some of the girls did. It got a bit rough on Sunday when that wind got up. But yeah, I think as a one-off, I think that could be a really great event. Um, and a lot of the girls and hopefully the guys love playing in it. But as the future, no, I, I, I'd like to see more of that Victoria format than, than the Sweden one. Laura, you played you played in South Africa in the, in the World Cup a couple of times. And um, uh, I don't think you've, you've, you've visited here very often other than that. But... Uh, I presume you must have played a little bit of golf with Sally Little and more recently with Leanne Pace and, and Ashley Buhai. Um, what, do you, what do you make of the South African lady golfers and playing golf in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot that played on the, play on the, have played on the European tour over the years and, and a few in America. Obviously, Sally, good friend of mine, play, uh, used to play the 
if you've seen his events with her, I don't think she's played for a while now on, on the Legends, could call it the Legends Tour in America. Um, but yeah, good quality. Leanne obviously has won in America a few times, um, solid player. Ashley Buha, I think she's um, she's becoming really consistent. Missed a couple of cuts the last few weeks, but other than that, she's been really consistent, been up there, and I can see her winning, lost a playoff last year, obviously, but I can see her winning, if not this year, next year, when things calm down a bit from all the COVID, because the COVID just disrupts everything, makes uh, makes things more difficult, obviously, for the players. But yeah, Ashley's one for the future, definitely. Laura, let's chat a little bit of Solheim Cup because you were a prolific player of the Solheim Cup as well. Take us back to 1990 and and your first appearance and, and that story you tell uh, with your foursomes partner, Alison Nicholas, standing on the first tee there in your first ever match. Yeah, it was uh, it was a late no-no. Um, there were only eight players. There were obviously 12 now in Ryder Cups and Solheim Cups. And there was eight of us Europeans, a few of us on the LPGA Tour by then, Lotta Neumann, I think Trish Johnson was, Alfredson. But anyway, the player, the team we were up against was basically Hall of Famers. There were a couple that didn't get into the Hall of Fame, but Ali and I were on the first team in the very first ever match. And I said to Ali, God, I'm nervous. She said, well, don't turn around because... Lopez and Bradley were walking onto the tiers <laughs> after saying that. And, and, and for those who don't know who they are, the younger listeners, two of the really great players of, of um, the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s and, yeah, scared the pants off us. But I have to say, we beat them two and one. So ah. you know, we kind of been scared. But, no, they're just things like that. It, it was great. And, and and when we beat them, the next, or we got we got flogged in that first one at Lake Nona. Forgotten the score, but it was pretty one-sided. But, Amazingly, that same team of Hall of Famers, we beat them at Dal Mahoy when we played it on European soil for the first time, and that was only two years later. So it was nice to get that early win in because I think it made the Solheim Cup what it was. If, if we'd have just been beaten and beaten and beaten every time, people might have lost interest in it. But it is now one of the premier sports events in the world, men's or women's. And you've never been a Solheim Cup captain. Do you have aspirations to, to be one? Not really. No, I, I enjoy playing. Um I'm a vice captain again this time for um, for Katrina Matthew. I was vice captain up at Glen Eagles last year, um, and she asked me to do it again this year in Toledo. So I, I was just over on a site visit with her at uh, at the uh, golf course we're playing there. And um, yeah, no, I, I enjoy that side of it. Being the captain, no, it doesn't doesn't appeal to me if I'm honest. We're jumping around a bit, but also if we go back to the '90s, you're talking about your your, your Solheim Cup debut, but also the '90s, and you, and you touched on it earlier. You you teamed up with with big hitting John Daly back in 1999 to to, to win a um, an event called the JC Penny. Um, that must have been quite an experience. What are your recollections of that? Oh, it was one of the most fun tournaments. It used to be played in it the first week in December, I think, pretty much every year. And Tiger played in it once with Kelly Keeney, and the, the, a lot of the big guns played. Paul Azinger. I mean, I could go through a list for an hour or so, but and and somehow. I think David Fairty, I played with him in it one year and he said, I'm not going to play in it next year, but John Daly's interested in playing. So John and I played in it for three years and the last year we played in it, we won it and it was the last year of the event, unfortunately. But So we never got a chance to defend our title. But yeah, that was three years I'll never forget. it. And that's when John was longer than everyone by a country mile. So it was for us, it was great because I was obviously still very long at that stage compared to the other girls. So it took us three years to win it, but we finally managed it. And uh, yeah, what an event. Actually, it's still the biggest check I've ever won to the day. I think it was $240,000. Nowadays, that pales into insignificance with the money they're winning. But at that stage, it was a magnificent win. Some some insight into in, into John Daly, what what he's like and what he was like to play with uh, on the golf course when almost near to his prime, I would say. And how big was your side bet? Yeah. 
No side bets. We didn't. We didn't side. We actually won it in a playoff <laughs> against Paul Azinger and Sayri Pack, and I hold some ridiculous fifty footer. So it was an exciting finish as well. But talking about John, he was just the nicest guy you'll ever meet, and he. he I know he's had his, uh, his his issues with things over the years, but oh, uh, fundamentally, he's just a good bloke. I, I've never met anyone more generous. He let me stay at uh, at his condo once um, in Palm Springs when when we were playing a tournament there, and it was just a house he had, and, and you know, just stuff like that. He was just a nice bloke. Do you think it gets a bad rap with some of the things he's been through? Perhaps people don't get to see that side of him uh, in the press? Yeah, I think he brings a lot of it on himself. I think he'd say he brings a lot of it on himself, but... Uh, Ultimately, if, if you're nice to everyone, and I've never seen him, I mean, I've been out for dinner with him at the JCPenney and he signs every autograph, he's having dinner and people are asking for a picture. Um, he takes every picture. He's just, like I said, he's a, he's a good, solid bloke. Yeah, he's had his problems, he's had his criticism, but anyone that's ever met him, I defy you to find one person that doesn't like him. Don't you think the trick with John Daly is that when he has made mistakes, and we, you know, they've obviously been uh, very public, when he has made mistakes... He comes out and apologizes, and and you know he says, I'm, "I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry that I did that. I'm going to try and do better, but you know, I have these issues." And and he just comes out, and I think that's why we like him so much. I mean, that's I agree thing. with you 100. percent I love the guy. Yeah, he's honest, and I met his mum and dad. I had dinner with them one time at the JCPenney, and what lovely people they were, just down to earth, normal people. Because let's face it, when he came on the scene in whatever year it was at Crooked Stick, he he came out of nowhere and. Sometimes it's hard, especially for the guys. The spotlight is so severe on them. And maybe it's no surprise he went off the rails a little bit. But, yeah, overall, met his kids. They're lovely kids. Um, yeah, I've got nothing but good things to say about him. Laura, I remember uh, the year that, um, I think the first year that you commentated that I was at the Open anyway. I, I want to say it's five or six years ago. You'll, you'll be able to remember the time because it was a Shrixon golf club that was lying in the commentary, the, the sort of rest area at the commentary. And I picked up this golf club, and I have never felt a shaft as stiff as that golf club was. It was a one or a two iron. Do you remember two that? Two iron. It's a two iron. It's still in my bag to this day. It's my. It's. I shouldn't say it because I'm with Callaway now, but it's my. <laughs> it's my favourite club. It's my go-to club, and I use it off a lot of par four tees because I can still. I'm not quite as long as I used to be with it, but I still get it out there enough on some of the shorter par fours. So yeah, that's. That club's been with me for well, best part of uh, twelve years now, I think, and I've never, I've never changed the, the shaft in it, and it's it's still going quite well. For any men that are listening to this, I promise you, if you picked up that golf club, it would really make you feel old because that <laughs> shaft was so stiff. It was like just like swinging swinging a, a a solid stainless steel pole. I couldn't believe how, how stiff it was. But Dale, you can you, hit it. You can hit it. You spent you spent time obviously after that you spent time with with Lynx Golf in in Britain, which which was quite a quite a neat story how that all came about and the the fact that it was a, a lady I gather and a and her husband who bought Lynx in Britain worldwide. Yeah, yeah, they bought the they bought the naming rights to it and and incredibly they live well no more than I don't know ten minutes down the road and their their premises is that close as well. Um, and it was just I was at the British Open press day at Birkdale about six years ago and. I was sat next to or close to um, Steve um, of Lynx and, and he just, at the time, Shrixon were, I was coming up to 50 and Shrink, Shrixon were letting me go and I don't know how the conversation started and within a week I was playing Lynx golf clubs. So it was it was amazing how it happened and I was, you know, very, 
very lucky to, to be with them. Just just finished with them at the end of uh, last year. So I, I had a good six years with them and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, won a few events, um, seniors open with their clubs and the, the LPGA seniors. So, yeah, no, enjoyed them. While we're talking uh, golf clubs, Laura, I believe you have some interesting and strong thoughts on pros hitting hybrids. Can you talk us through that? Well, I, I just think they made the game easy. Um, easier, as, as tough as the game is, I think irons have all, should always be. I think everyone should have to hit a two iron once around because it's a tough shot to hit. But nowadays, you know, some of the some of the bags um, on the women's tour, you've got six woods in there, and I, I just think it. I don't like them because I hit them too high. I've never used them. I've, I've tried over the years because I see these other players from one ninety knocking it, landing it, you know, within a couple of feet and stopping it dead, and, and it's. It frustrates me that I can't use them. So maybe that's why I'm just jealous that I can't hit them. They just don't see my they don't see my game. And and you see it more and more in the men's game, you know, lots of um lots of hybrids in the men's game, which is it's surprising to me. But um yeah, it's de- it's definitely a part of the equipment that I'd like to see the back of. And rangefinders, Laura, whilst we're talking about equipment that you like and don't like, uh, we saw the use of rangefinders at the PGA championship. Uh, your thoughts there? Yep, love them. I think anything that saves time and gets us around the golf course quicker. I can't understand people that say they're not going to help speed of play. Pacing 30, 40 yards or going zapping it from where your ball is, I don't I don't see how that's going to stop us playing quicker. So uh, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I agree you shouldn't have the uphill, downhill. None of these, some of the fancy new ones have got humidifier things on them where it tells you the ball density. I suppose DeChambeau would understand all that. I don't really get it, but... <laughs> It's, uh, for me, straightforward range finder, brilliant. It, it, especially when you get out of position, you know, you see that that shot um, using, well, not that many years ago, speed at the British Open when he was yeah, miles yeah. offline. If he'd have had a range finder, that would have saved half an hour and uh, that would have been great. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. And the LPJ's uh, adopted range finders now, I think apart from the British Open, um, maybe the Scottish Open, range finders will be used the rest of the year. Is slow play as big a deal on the LPGA Tour as it is on the PGA Tour? I don't know about as big a deal. It's it's just infuriating as a player, and I'm sure as a gallery standing around watching people sit on, you know, water coolers on the tee, waiting to hit their shot all the time. It's it's not fun for anyone, but modern day players tend to take their time. You're on the on course foundation now, and uh, that's a it's a wonderful program that that was started by a friend of a mutual friend of ours, John Simpson. Just tell us about your involvement there. Well, I've, done, I've not, not done a huge amount. I mean, John, John, I've known for years. He was my very first manager when I won that US Open back in 87. With, by, by the morning, ING had been in touch and it was John Simpson and, and signed up. So, yeah, any, any time John's asked me to do anything, I've not, I've not done a huge amount over the year because I've not been asked to do a huge amount. But uh, what they do is just fantastic. And, and any time I can get involved, I, I, I always find it easier to say yes to people than no. So I'll always do... If I physically can be there, then then I'll do it and I'll put as much support as I can in. But I know John's uh, he's, he's, uh, he's put everything into it. Laura, I'm interested to get your thoughts on, on Phil Mickelson winning at the age of 50 and turning back the clock and what he's done. And you can see he's lost a lot of weight. He's in pretty good shape. Could you see something like that happening on, on, the, on the women's tour where someone perhaps slightly older goes on and, and achieves what, what Phil did? I've been trying for years to win another one. <laughs> now, there's, not, there's not too many. Julie, Julie played, made the cutting Grand Rapids. Julie Inkster, uh, two weeks ago at Grand Rapids. I think she shot six or seven under for the week. She finished quite well down having made the cup, but, uh, you know, she did well. Whether whether any of the older players, I know um, Katrina Matthews, she's just turned 50, but she's not really playing anymore. So it doesn't seem like the girls play as long. Maybe it's a strength thing um, or family commitments or whatever, but 
it'd be more difficult, I think, for the for the one of the girls to win at fifty plus. Um, but like I said, I'm still trying. I know Julie doesn't just tear it up. She's in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, well, come on, if it's my week, I could win this. You know, realistically, that's not really going to happen. But, you know, what Phil did on, off a bad run, not a bad run, but off not a great run of golf to mm. to see off that field and to see off Kepka, who he basically thought he'd already won it, I think, the way he was talking, um, was uh, was amazing. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Of your career, your lowest golfing moment? Um, I think three putting at Nabisco to lose to Donna Andrews in 1993. I think it was that was that one. That that's the one that I still look back on and it really hurt. And actually, if I'd two putted, I'd be in the LBJ Hall of Fame. So that's one of those majors that got away that uh, they really annoy you. You you getting back to being you know winning at, at an older age. In 2018, you finished runner up, and you I think you were 55 at that time. Shot a 63 on the Saturday. You got pretty close. Yeah, that was that one. The, the, the trouble was, it was one MB Park that was two groups behind me in the final group. And God, I, I, on that Sunday, I just it like you said, sixty three on Saturday, and I really was playing well. And and I, I think on the on the Sunday round, I chipped in on the second for eagle to, to go either tied for the lead at the time or maybe one back. I played really well all day, and then in you know, a lovely shot into sixteen to about five feet and missed it for birdie and then didn't birdie 17, which is an easy par three and then bogeyed 18. So it was very, very close. Um, and that's, I suppose that's why I'm still playing. But one thing that's happened to me is, is COVID. I've only played 10 tournaments in the last 18 months and my game is really starting to show some fractures. So whether I could have another a, a run at a tournament two years on in COVID times, I really don't know. I played poorly last week and the week before. Some of the worst golf I've played, the most inconsistent golf, I should say. Um, so it gets more difficult. But yeah, that, that Phoenix tournament was certainly, um, it was great, but it was a big disappointment too. Dame Laura Davies. And then in, in 2000, you got the, the uh, is it called the CBE? Yeah, the commander of the British Empire. That's the CBE. Now, those two, they're two different things, right? Yeah, Just, well, I've got in, in, in 88... We're from, I, we're, from, we're from darkest Africa, so explain to us <laughs> what, well, the, what, they, what those two things actually mean, because it is a seriously big deal. Uh, you know, everybody talks about Sir Nick Valder. Dame Laura Davies is, is equal to that. Yeah, well, that, that is the equivalent. The damehood that I got in 2015 is equivalent of the knighthood. So, yeah, that's, uh, that is an equivalent. So what, what, it, what it is 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 uh, the Queen's birthday honours list and the New Year's honours list that nominate people from all walks of life. It's not obviously just not sport. It's made a lot of military, a lot of nurses from the NHS, stuff like that. And in 88, after I'd won the Open, US Open in 87, I got the MBE, which is a member of the British Empire. And then, like you said, 2000, I was upgraded to a CBE, Commander of the British Empire. That was for kind of services to golf and a, and a decent career. And then I didn't think you could ever get the double up, uh, the double upgrade from economy to first class. And sure enough, <laughs> in, in 2015, I, uh, I, I I got the letter from the you get a letter from the prime minister's office or yeah, it's a letter from the prime minister. I've forgotten his. It's not the prime minister. It's from one of his people. And would you accept the damehood from uh, from her Majesty? And within about 20 seconds, I ticked the box, signed it, and put it back in the post box. And and yes, yes, please. And yeah, and then it's down to going up to the palace. And it was uh, the first two I went to the palace was the Queen. The, the last one for the Damehood was Princess Anne. And every experience was about the most nervy. A first tee and a final round in a major is nothing compared to going to Buckingham Palace to pick up a medal from the from the royal family. Really? Were you that nervous? 
terrified. I've only been to the doctors once in my life, and that was in 1988. On the couple of days before I went to the palace, I got this extreme rash on the, it was the left side of my face. And I looked ridiculous. It was just never had problem with my skin. And I, all of a sudden, the left half of my face was bright red and blotchy and a bit lumpy. So I went to the doctor's. And he said, are you under any stress? And I said, well, I'm going to meet the Queen on Friday, on Thursday. I think I'm under a bit of stress. And he gave me some tablets. And thank God it cleared it up. And But, yeah, it's it's nerve-wracking. Well, it was for me anyway, because I'm not I'm not big on occasions. I don't like functions or anything like that. And and to meet the Queen in, in your best dress, and uh, it's all the protocols that scares the life out of you. But having said that, great memories. My mum, my dad's been there, my brother, my stepdad, they've all been to the palace to to enjoy the day with me. So yeah, it's a huge thing for the family. Speaking of your mum, didn't she caddy for you for a while as well? She did a few. She came out, she had a great record actually. She never won, unfortunately. She, she caddied three times. She finished fifth, third and third. So we did one in Holland, uh, one in France and one in maybe I want to say Belgium or Portugal. I can't remember the third one, but yeah, three top five finishes as a caddy and uh, yeah, but we never got that winner. That that would have been pretty special for me. Me and my mum were best friends. So, uh, yeah, that would have been great if we could have uh, knocked off a championship together. I hope you didn't do a Matt Kuchin. I hope you paid her properly. Oh, she got paid right royally. Don't worry about that. She got a full 10%. I always give 10% to my caddy. None of this 8%, 5% for Oh, good 10%. for you. Good for you. And, uh, Laura, away from the golf course, and we, I know we've spoken about you having a flutter, but I, I know that you, you're you quite keen on your gardening and you and you love your dogs as well. Has that been a major part of, of your anchor during lockdown? Oh, yeah. Walking, walking Murphy, he's laying. He's never far from me. He's laying out in the hall out here waiting for me to uh, go downstairs and take him for his afternoon stroll. Um, but, yeah, gardening, love, I, not so much flowers. It's more um, it's more vegetables, love growing vegetables, love cooking, cooking the vegetables when you've grown them and just normal things. And that's why I say when I come home, I don't I don't play loads of golf, certainly don't go to the range that much. But I'd rather do things like, like the other day, going up, or yesterday, going to watch England play with my friends in the local club and just normal things. But that, that's, uh, that certainly helps you when you're – it's nice to come home to that when all the – I can't really call it pressure because – professional golf is, is great fun but sometimes it gets a, a little bit pressure filled so uh, yeah it's nice to come home well the last question from my side and then i'll hand over to dale and dylan for them to to wrap it up but dale alluded to it earlier you played with some iconic names some massive massive names in women's golf you went up against them and you won which is the one name that was the one name that you were really really nervous about going up against well, I'll, I'll categorise it. The, the one towards the end was obviously Annika, but I was just at the end of my run as number one player. But when I was at my best, the, the one that put fear into you was Kari Webb. Um, she was ferocious competitor, good friend. And we had we had a few... We didn't have massive amounts of head-to-heads, but if you were at the top of the leaderboard and her name got on it, all of a sudden you started feeling that weight on your shoulders. And and like I said, if I'd have been at my best in Annika's day, I would have hated to see her name probably. But actually, it was it was Webby that was the the one name you just didn't need to see get on that board. And there's still a great camaraderie and friendship between you guys, gals. Yeah, I spoke to Webby now and again um, via you know all the modern media, whatever it is, email, not emails, or Twitter and all that. But see her at the odd tournament. Um, normally, when I'm in Australia, she's obviously down there. She still plays in those events. So yeah, get on get on really well with Webby. Not winning the British Women's Open. Is that a regret? Well, it depends how you categorise yeah, it. Yeah, b- before, before it was a major. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, if it, yeah, I mean, uh, 
the thing was when it when it was a major it was it was after i was at my best you know if we if we talk my yeah. best years were 94 through probably just 2001 or well, probably early 90s to 2001 so that 10 years if it had been a major then who knows i might not have i, I played in it every i never missed one i played in it every i played it every year this would be my 41st at Carnoustie this year and i won it i think my when i win it in 80 86 i won it i think um, yeah, I did. I won yeah. in '86. So, That's right. You know, it's been a long, long time since since I won it, and it wasn't a major then. But it doesn't. I don't regret. I, I don't regret it because it's still the British Open. It had a really good field that year as well. There were quite a few Americans came over. Uh, Debbie Massey who was a great player in her day, and quite a few others I could mention. But yeah, and, and not winning as a major. No, I, I don't. I'm not that. But I'm, I'm obviously it would have got me in the Hall of Fame. So I'd love to have won it as a major. But there you go. My last one, and I know you've said this before, so I know the answer, but I, I want it for the podcast as well. When do you think you'll hang up the clubs? Well, after the last two weeks, it might be tomorrow because <laughs> I, I honestly really didn't enjoy it. For the first time, I said to I said to the guy that was caddying for me, um, I really haven't enjoyed this this week. It's Maybe it's time, but, you know, you have a week off this week and it, I'm playing at the Centurion Club next week in that team event and then Scottish Open, British Open. US seniors open so um, I'm getting closer to that day I think but if I have many more weeks like the last two weeks then it might be sooner rather than later but you've always got it there. as a competitor you've always got it in the back of your mind I've, I've got one more in me and certainly I'll play seniors events for, for a good while to come but maybe at the top level it's it's getting close. Well it's been really brilliant catching up with you today getting to know you yeah. a little bit better and having a legend of, of the ladies tour on our podcast we really do appreciate it Laura thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again, Laura. Take care. There it is. A win for the ages. The long and short of it. Simon Hill, Dylan Rogers, and Dale Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'd ask our friends, except we don't have any. So please like and rate this podcast. Until next time.